Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert. I am here today with my virus-free co-host, Dr. Millicent Ravello. How are you, Dr. Ravello? Well, I'm virus-free, I think. I mean, I wouldn't know, right? How could we possibly know? <laughs> That's the thing. None of us have been had any symptoms, nor have we been tested. But there is a chance that we could definitely have the virus. We know that 25% of people are asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19. Well, and then also with us today on the podcast is our asymptomatic dental friend, Dr. John Marashi. John, how are you doing? Jay, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm doing great. I appreciate it. Are you, are you asymptomatic and feeling well? We hope you are. I am asymptomatic. Um, however, I've actually had a COVID test done. Oh, no way. Oh. Good for you. Yeah. How'd you and, do on that test? Well, so there is a place where you can actually, with physician help, you can get a mail order sputum sample done. Oh, no way. And while, you know, our, our clinical and our private practices are shut down for elective procedures, we're still all available for emergency situations. Of and course. in dentistry, what is qualifying as an emergent situation is something that if you didn't have it treated, you're going to end up in a hospital. So that could range from you know, broken teeth to abscess type of situations. And a week ago, I went in to help someone that was, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. And, you know, between all the PPE that I was wearing, and the patient had been in quarantine, you know, we went through the screening questions as well. You know, I felt it was safe to do. But I also felt like, hey, if I'm going to go back in again, I better have confidence that, I'm okay that this is not an issue. Right, of course. So, um, so yeah, so I ordered the test and they, they uh, overnighted it to me and I overnighted it uh, right back and I had the results the very next morning that I was negative. That's wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's incredible. S- yeah. Send us that info. I need to do that yeah, like yesterday. It's microgendxlabs.com. So M-I-C-R-O. G E N D X labs.com. Cool. And yeah, so, um, so yeah, going back to COVID, I mean, it's good to know, but what you guys were mentioning a moment ago about it's good being asymptomatic, but I've been thinking about what's going to happen when we go back to work and, you know, pretty soon they're going to have to have this antibody test out and, it's almost you you almost wish that you were an asymptomatic carrier for sure when you go back to work you know that you have the antibodies that you you won't get sick if someone brings it in the door right right well i mean that's the key right you want to have like a low-grade exposure (laughs) so you get some immunity and uh you know i i have to believe john and this is just me talking because I am not an infectious disease expert, but I have to believe that this virus has been around Southern California a lot longer than people really have an appreciation for it. It's saying like, oh, it got here in March. I think it was here in January. Easily. I mean, we had so many people that were sick as hell. I mean, one of our anesthesiologists broke a rib coughing so much, and he was sick for three weeks with flu-like symptoms and a dry, nasty cough. 
I mean, we, uh, we, one of our surgeons was, had to cancel a day of surgery, which he would never do in 100 years. It's been, I think it's been around here, you know, especially with the number of people that come from China to Southern California. I, I can't see how this is just arriving in, in Los Angeles. No, it's been around for longer. There's no question. I think March is just when it was around in, in statistically significant numbers that, you know, it had to become a, you know, a statewide health precaution. Absolutely. But, you know, it has definitely shut down everybody's aesthetic practice. No elective procedures. We're in the same boat. We're doing whatever emergency care people need. They can meet us in the office and we can sew up lacerations, fix a broken nose, things to keep them out of the emergency room so that the frontline COVID-19 fighters, the, the doctors, nurses, the respiratory therapists, every, the x-ray techs, everybody who's doing an amazing job can do their job and not have to worry about things that can be taken care of elsewhere. Exactly. Well, we want to talk about your practice because this will not go on forever. You know, in, as in all things in life, this too shall pass. And people are going to still want their teeth to look really nice. And I can tell you, as a patient of yours now for more than a decade, you saved my teeth from, <laughs> from the third world dentistry that I was actually receiving here in Beverly Hills. <laughs> well, it's very kind of you to, uh, to word it like that. And uh, it's, you know, the feeling is mutual um, because, uh, you know, you've, you've saved my my nose and my ability to breathe and, and, and not looking like I ran into a telephone pole anymore. Uh, <laughs> that was definitely a skateboarder nose. You, <laughs> you, you definitely had one that, that showed you loved your sport. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it's an interesting time for sure, you know, because, um, you know, guys like me and you, you know, we're, we're wired to go in and, and do what we do every day. And, and that's the, the greatest blessing I think there is professionally um, because I love aesthetic dentistry. I love working with my patients. I have a great team around me. And to, all of a sudden, you know, to have that gone, you know, is certainly, uh, you know, you, you, you have a feeling uh, amiss, you know, like there's a, like a sense of loss. And so I'm, I'm super excited to get back back in and do it. Um, aesthetic dentistry is just, you know, it's been my calling. And in fact, the only two things I ever wanted to do in my whole life was either be a dentist or a professional skateboarder. And you already <laughs> covered the other. So, you know, to still be able to skateboard and do dentistry this day, I really feel like I won the lottery in that regard. And, you know, the way the cards fell, probably, probably for, for the better that I'm a better dentist than I ever was on, you know, on top of the four wheels. That's for darn sure. Um, dentistry is so amazing and fantastic because when you meet someone, that's the first thing you see, realize it or not, because the mouth moves more than anything else on the entire face. So your eyes gravitate there naturally. And they say it's, you know, the mouth, the teeth, the smile, number one, eyes, number two, and hair, number three. And to be able to enhance someone's smile to make it look beautiful to make it look natural to make it look individualized i think it's really one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody because having a gorgeous smile really translates to having confidence more than anything else and For sure so that doesn't mean that you have to walk around you know being uh, smiley all the time. It means it's like wearing a, it's like wearing a, a, like a wild and crazy colored pair of, uh, underwear and nobody knows that you have it. Right. You know, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing some now. Got it. 
And I didn't see the analogy going the there. I love this. <laughs> you know, walking into the meeting or whatever it is or a social situation and just knowing that it's there gives the person confidence. And to help people who, you know, were either, you know, through genetics, the way that the cards fell, they didn't have a nice looking smile or you know, even more common, especially in Southern California and Beverly Hills, people that fell victim to getting chiclet teeth, the <laughs> horse teeth, and making them look like they have a smile that they were born with. It's just awesome. Uh, because, you know, just like plastic surgery, you know, it's an individualized, it's a customized result. You have to build it to the parameters of that person and not even just how they look. But there's a personality associated with it. I remember Jay when you did when you did the uh, rhinoplasty on my nose to straighten it out, and just for all the listeners, I was on the uh, losing end of a of a fight. I think I was like 14 or something like that, and <laughs> um, and so finally uh, Jay said, "Hey, let me let let me fix this." And you know, I didn't think it was a big deal uh, aesthetically until he showed me, I was like, Oh my God, how'd I miss that? And I can't breathe on top of it. And I told him, I said, Hey, listen, I said, what's this going to look like? I don't want to have some weird, you know, pixie nose. And Jay said, imagine what this thing looked like, you know, before the time that it was broken. He said, that's what I'm going to put it back to. And, and that's really what, what he did. He delivered and just straightened the thing out and I can breathe and I can run uh, not after mouth breathe doing it. It's, it's, you don't even realize how much you miss nasal breathing until uh, until you get it back. And I actually get compliments on my nose, which I had never received in my whole life. And they just say you have a, a good, strong, masculine nose. So uh, thanks again, Jay. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's well, of course, that's uh, that's that's what I do. But I, I think you know the key in in any of these aesthetic procedures is exactly what you said. You got to listen to what you know, your patient wants and then try to deliver that uh, the best you can, given, given what you have to start with for sure. But, you know, also knowing what, you know, you got to be able to manage those expectations and take people to, you know, the best that they can possibly be. And it's very rewarding, as you said. Absolutely. You know, the, yeah, as the years have gone by doing this, you know, I, I enjoy it more and more because, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're writing your, it's like you're, it's like you're co-writing a story with someone and, you know, you're going on this journey with them and you're just, you know, you're just one chapter in their larger book. And when you understand where the person is coming from and what the patient psychology is, and, and like you said, you know, the expectations and you get to help write this chapter in the book and it leaves them in a better place than where they were when they started. And there's so much gratitude that, comes back to one, you know, oneself as the clinician for delivering on this. I mean, it's a very rewarding experience, you know, not just for the patient, but for us as well, you know, being able to help people. Well, John, can you tell us a little bit about exactly the kind of procedures you do and what you do when you see a patient for the first time, like how you decide what it is that they would benefit most from? Absolutely. So, the majority of my practice is dedicated to cosmetic dentistry. And you know, to break it down more simplistic than that, if you want to have your smile look better, I can help you do that. There's a multitude of ways of, of procedurally for doing it. The most common for certain is the use of porcelain veneers. 
And for those of you listeners that uh, are not sure what a veneer is, it's simply a thin ceramic overlay, and it just goes right on top of the tooth. Um, for the female members of the audience, think of it as the, the little gel coverings that go on the fingernails. So we can use ceramic and do that on the teeth. And if they're done really well, the gels, they fit the nail bed perfectly. The contour and emergence profile is perfect. They're not so thick that they stick up above the nail bed and, and look ridiculous. They, you just can't tell the difference between that and what Mother Nature gave you. And porcelain veneers can do the same thing when they're bonded on the tooth with the right shape, with the right size, with the correct color. All these things have to have a balance and size and symmetry that's appropriate for the individual. They look like you were just born with an absolutely gorgeous smile. So that's the most common procedure. It's the one that I do the most and the one that I really enjoy the most for sure. Patients who are having this done, it's typically done in two appointments. And what is great about this procedure is that there's actually an opportunity to test drive the smile in advance. And what we do is we use a provisional or what we call a temporary veneer material to put on the teeth so we can build a prototype of what things could look like with shape, size, and color before we go to final with it. And I think it's pretty cool because I don't know too many other procedures. Um, I know I didn't get a test drive my nose out. You know, I just had, I just had trust in Michelangelo that he was going <laughs> to do the best job for me. Um, but it is a rarity, you know, in terms of aesthetic procedures that you can actually see what it looks like in your mouth as opposed to, you know, living on a hope and a prayer or, uh, or, you know, like software imaging programs. I'm not a real big fan of those for teeth because I think that the jaw shapes have so much variance that uh, Photoshop in someone else's teeth is just not particularly accurate. Um, We're sort of the same kind of, we don't, we don't really love doing, I, I think if you remember when we were talking about your nose, I did a drawing for you because I really don't like the, the imaging programs. And, and it's a, it's a huge beef I have that those those imaging programs don't show how the operation works. It kind of just pushes pixels around, and it's just not a accurate view of what happens to to a structure of the human body during surgery. I agree with you. Yeah, it's um, it's it, it it has its limitations, and um, and I think the reliance on that is actually kind of a red flag potentially for clients. Um, you know, I remember you doing the freehand sketch and showing me how the how the tip would lay and the bridge. And I just I was I was more impressed with what your hand could do than potentially what a um, than what imaging was going to show me for sure. It showed me, you know, what the what the artist was was capable of. Well, John, you know, the other thing that I wanted you to get into a little bit is, you know, you're a very committed dental health dentist in addition to your aesthetics. You know, you uh, you've created a toothbrush, which, by the way, uh, my wife and I use your toothbrush uh, all the time. We love it. Um, you could talk to us a little bit about that. But you also spend a lot of time with your aesthetic patients getting their dental hygiene in place because, you know, if the hygiene isn't good, that your your reconstructions aren't going to going to hold up over time. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's um, you know, it's the old saying. It's like you can't put a mansion on top of quicksand. And it's so critical that the foundation... Is that an old saying? 
because I haven't heard that. <laughs> so that was, I'm, I'm not sure, but I like it, and I yeah, agree I, with you 100%. <laughs> That's hey, a good one. You know what it is, Jay, is, uh, is, uh, is I just aged myself is all I did. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, you got, you, you're catching up with me, but you're not there yet. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the idea is that you have to have it. You've got to have a, 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 you know, a baseline level of health before doing these. I mean, like, it'd be like, you know, try, I, I can't imagine like if someone came in, uh, you, you know, wanting to get like a rhino done and, you know, they got a massive sinus infection and all exactly. this coming out of their nose. You're like, wait, 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 we gotta, you know, we gotta get you cleaned up first. And so in the mouth, you know, it starts with oral hygiene and, and so at minimum, you know, it may be a baseline teeth cleaning, you know, it could be, um, a, you know, a visit to the periodontist, you know, if it's more involved and getting, you know, the roots and the gums and the tissues healthy, because you can't have good white without having good pink. And that just simply means that the teeth and the gums go hand in hand. You don't want to put a veneer over a tooth that's crumbling with fillings or has um, decay in it. You know, those are all foundational things that you'd want to take care of first. And even the engineering of it, and I know you're really big on engineering when it comes to reconstruction, but the mouth is the same thing because the chewing mechanism is extremely complex. It's not just this, uh, you know, unidirectional hinge joint. And so making sure that the teeth are fitting together properly and when the jaw moves around as you're chewing into food that there's a that that there's balance and so the teeth can actually do what they were intended to do that they're not erroneously crashing into one another which could cause premature damage on the teeth or even breakage i mean i see that all the time on with the revision cases that i'm doing where veneers are breaking and falling off because they haven't been engineered properly it's it's a it's a rampant problem in dentistry unfortunately so how do you monitor the oral hygiene and the teeth after the veneers? Is it the same way that you would do it before? Yeah. And so, you know, the, the research has shown us that plaque recolonization on the teeth, it happens at approximately three-month intervals. Um, if you think about it, you know, if you go a real long time in between teeth cleanings, it's like hammer and chisel, right, with the dental hygienist trying to get that stuff out. But if your mouth is in a perpetual state of cleanliness, then that changes things. And, you know, you're going in and it's more maintenance and polishing as opposed to actually the, the hammer and chisel of scraping all the plaque off of the roots. Well, for a mouth that's in, you know, perpetual cleanliness, the likelihood of having gum problems, the likelihood of having yellow teeth, the likelihood of having cavities, the likelihood of dental restorations failing prematurely, you're eliminating all of these variables. And there's even a systemic health component associated with it. You know, the American Heart Association has shown the link between having good oral health and good systemic health, that the two of those go hand in hand. So I think there's really just a massive upside for prevention in this regard. And, um, you know, fortunately, my office, we start pretty early. So I'm used to seeing Dr. Calvert, you know, come, come, you know, you know uh, squint eyed and half asleep in the office at 7 a.m. Uh, never. <laughs> I'm always up to get in there. But, you know, it's you're, you're right, though. You, you run a very, very busy practice with the dental health portion, you know, in addition to the aesthetics. And I, I think that you should be commended 
for the high level of attention that you place on that. Because there are a lot of places you go, you know, the dentists are just happy to slap on some some veneers and, uh, you know, make some big money on it. They don't spend the kind of time. I mean, I, I, I remember the first time I went for an appointment with you, you spent like it was no less than 30 minutes like measuring every like angle on my face and doing a full head and neck exam and checking muscles and my my pterygoids which are you know some of the grinder muscles in your in the middle of your head and you you really were like very thorough in the evaluation of not just the teeth but the entire head and neck looking for cancers picking up my tongue you know and looking underneath and seeing like you know if they're what's living under there and it was it was impressive because there has been no other dentist that's ever done anything like that well thank you and i'm glad that uh you know that you're able to uh appreciate that and, and share it with your listeners i i think of it like um you know, like before you go up in an airplane, right, there's a person with a with a clipboard and it's got this long checklist on it. And, you know, you hope that this person doesn't find, you know, anything wrong on the plane. But if they do, thank goodness they have that checklist, right, because there's an opportunity to remedy it. You don't want to you don't want to judge it just because it's got a fresh coat of paint on the outside of it or whatever it is. And in dentistry, you know, more people, I think, have been have been failed by dentistry because they've had a good enough looking smile or, you know, something that looked well enough. And if you don't treat everybody the same, you know, with, a, with a, you know, almost like you have, um, you, you, you know, you just got to you got to treat it uniform across the board where you're checking everything. And if you don't find anything great, fantastic, you know, you got a clean bill of health. But I'm certainly not going to make any assumptions about what someone does or doesn't have. I need to follow just a very strict protocol and treat it universally for every patient that comes in. <laughs> so on one of our previous podcasts, uh, Dr. Calvert mentioned something about your wall of fame. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, the wall of fame. So, like I had to ask him. I just want to say yeah. that I am not up on, I'm, I'm not worthy to quote uh, Wayne's World, uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. You know, it, it's a fun conversation for sure. And um, what happened was my, the first real big name celebrity client that I ever got was, uh, was Ryan Seacrest. And um, who? Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ooh, yeah. Now that man has a great smile. He does have a great smile, <laughs> and you're talking to the guy that made it. That's the that's the whole point. And we had a a, a magazine. It was I think it was like Hollywood Reporter or, or one of those, you know, out in the waiting room. And he happened to be on the cover on it. And I and I you know asked him if he would sign it for me. And I just you know and he was really gracious about it. And, I, and you know I, I put it up on the wall and. Um, and then what happened was, you know, next couple of celebrities that are making their way commented, they're like, hey, where's mine? And then <laughs> over time, these things just started showing up as gifts in the office and, you know, where people would send them. And now, I mean, you've been to the office. I mean, I've literally run out of wall space because there's hundreds of them up on the wall of, you know, just these great people that have entrusted me with their care. And it, it's a lot of fun because the celebrities will come in and they'll see their friend or they'll make a joke about how come, you know, a certain person got, 
you know, this particular position and the other person was tucked away on the side. And uh, so there tends to be movement all the time of where, where uh, people are, are positioned on the wall and uh, just to, you know, mix it up a little bit. And, Do you uh, have to prioritize certain patients? Like, you know, when you get your car valet and they put the Bentleys and the Rolls Royces up front and then they tuck, you know, your little Honda in the back. <laughs> you know, what's funny is the, the times they move it around, like I've never... I've never thought like, oh, okay, so-and-so is coming in, so I better, you know, move theirs a little more front and center. But what happens is usually someone will come in and they'll make a joke about their friend not being more front and center. So then I end up moving it while they're there, and then they want to do a selfie in front of it, showing their friend that they got a better position. Um, and it's interesting <laughs> That's because very generous. Selfies, you know, than I than I ever thought I would be. I was like, who'd want to have a picture, you know, with with me for the thing? But social media has changed that, and it's interesting because it's a lot different in cosmetic dentistry versus, you know, a, a, um, aesthetic plastic surgery, where, you know, as a as a plastic surgeon, you know, most people want that to be like, you know, very stealth and under the radar, and cosmetic dentistry, you know, just it, it's become normalized where. The expectation is, okay, like, of course you should have a nice looking smile and healthy teeth and gums. And there's not any sort of stigma associated with it. Like if you got your teeth fixed, it's like, oh, well, of course, you know, people get their teeth fixed. That's normal. That's not weird. There's nothing to that, you know, people uh, would hide about. And, you know, a lot of celebrities on my wall, it doesn't mean that every person's on the walls had had veneers anyway. So uh, there's been, you know, just a lot of social media sharing, and uh, you know, that has happened over the years and, um, uh, which has been pretty neat to see actually, because I always kind of felt like a little bit of a dinosaur with social media and all that. But, um, uh, but people really do enjoy it. No, they do. And, and, uh, I will say you don't, that's one of the things that I always, uh, am impressed with your, uh, dentistry. I mean, you talk about your veneers cause I do think that you're, you know, you're the Mac daddy gold standard on, on veneers, but I don't have a single veneer in my mouth and I, you know, I have some crowns and I have, I've had some rugby teeth that need to be replaced, which, uh, you know, we're in process on getting a, a new molar for me pretty shortly, but you know, you're not like, you don't go right to the veneers. You, I mean, I, I, I think, that really says a lot. If people have good teeth, you just work with their good teeth and make them as good as they can possibly be. Well, that's really important. I mean, I think it's an it's it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I mean, with your smile, for example, I still remember you said, hey, do you think I should get veneers? And I remember laughing at you saying like, no, absolutely not. Jay I said, you know, you actually got a great template. But we can work with this. And, you know, I'm, I, I, how many bleaching sessions, teeth whitening sessions I put you through like three or four, right? 46 actually. <laughs> 46. Yeah. So, it's a record. but, but man, I mean, you know, between that and then just fixing some little minor chips on the edges of the teeth with some bonding, I mean, you know, they look pretty phenomenal, you know, it's, and so, you know, I call that coloring within the lines. And if you can work with what someone has and just, you know, it's just put a little bit of icing on the cake, if you will. Sometimes less is more. And I'm sure it's got to be no different in plastic surgery that you'll get someone asking for, you know, maybe something that you would think is actually over treatment. And, you know, maybe it's just leave it alone or maybe it's a, a, a drop of filler or or the most conservative surgical procedure as opposed to something, you know, something that's like, you know, like, scalp all the skin off and, and strap it back on. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is really important for us to be to be conservative on one level, and be, but then there's also the, you know, patients want to push the envelope, so we have to know, you know, where to draw that line. I not, think that's a, that's a real delicate thing to do is 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 knowing where are those you know the the limits of 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 being appropriate and you know we all have different thresholds and you know one of the things that I've learned over time is you know it's like I'm signing my name on this project right and sure. I want to do work that I'm proud of that I think is appropriate that I know is going to last, it's going to function properly. And sometimes what is achievable and what the patient wants are just not in alignment. And, you know, in it, earlier in my career, you know, I, I've, I've made the mistakes of, of trying to do these cases and then, you know, um, and then not, not hitting the bullseye, you know, that everyone was what expected to. And so, you know, you learn with time and experience and maturity of when to treat, when not to treat, and also um, sometimes when to refer. And, you, you know, it's very interesting because sometimes you'll tell someone, you say, okay, listen, I hear what you're saying, um, but I, you know, like, I don't believe this is possible or that in my hands, I'm going to be able to yield the result that you're looking for and you think you know then you're in the clear at that point and then the patient you know they want you like 10 times as much <laughs> <laughs> that is i think we see that in plastic surgery a lot too and everything you said certainly applies to what we do about when to push the envelope when to be safe and when to refer but it's true sometimes the harder you try and push patients elsewhere it's more like well they kind of want what they can't have and they kind of try and cling to you so Makes sense. I think we certainly see that too. Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, like a a healthcare provider, you know, that's coming from a good place, you know, that's that's you know trying to do the right thing and knows what their own boundaries and limitations are, is going to be far more successful across the board in terms of doing the right thing for the patient, even if that means do not treat or refer. Um, and you know, that's just, uh, I think that's a better way to practice. So who in your practice then would you put veneers on? Like what degree of uh, deformity or, or patient interest do they have to have to sort of make that step happen? Yeah. So the, you know, the common players or the common parameters of when I'm going to recommend someone to have veneers on their teeth. It could be due to excessive enamel damage on the teeth from teeth grinding, from teeth clenching. Could be teeth that have already had a significant amount of dental work on it already that's falling apart. So now we're talking about revision dentistry. It could be teeth that um, have moved and shifted over time and the person is either not a candidate for orthodontic treatment or just declines orthodontic treatment. Um, it could be teeth that are actually in the correct position, but have extreme tooth sensitivity to teeth whitening, and no matter what they tried, it doesn't work. Um, you know, it could be to correct tooth positional issues. So, for example, you know, some teeth, some people have straight teeth after braces, right? But straight teeth don't always equal beautiful smile because the um, because the fullness is not there because the length of the teeth or the color are not where they want it to be and you know and you know look 
we're all getting older too. And so, you know, I have veneers on my teeth. They're 16 years old right now. And, you know, I'm, uh, but my face doesn't look like it did 16 years ago. So, and it's only really been like the last two, three years where I'm thinking about, you know, my upper lip is, is hanging down lower. I don't show as much teeth as I'd like to. So, you know, at some point in time, I'm going to have these replaced and I'll probably increase the length and the fullness a little bit to put back some of the youthfulness into the smile. Well, John, if your face doesn't look like it did 16 years ago, we're here to help. So <laughs> you've got you've got the team over here. Don't even worry. There are, there are know, options. My, my, my days are numbered. I mean, you know, here, I'll turn this around and ask a question to you guys. I would imagine with facelift procedures, facelift, maybe uh, eyelid procedures and brow lift, I'm willing to bet that, you know, maybe when you started doing plastic surgery, your average patient age was probably 60s, maybe even older. And I'm willing to bet that now that sweet spot is probably between the age of 45 and 55. For sure. I think that's the age. Spot on. Yep. That's when they come. They, they, you know, as soon as those jowls appear, you know, they, they're in the office saying, I, I, I am not having this. That's over. You got to get rid of these. And they, they will, um, uh, they're, they're actually in my world, I think, and I don't know if Dr. Ravello agrees with it, but the results that I get for patients long-term, if I, if I get to them earlier when they do actually have the signs of aging, the better the long-term results and the less they need to do further work even into their 50s and 60s. Do you agree with that, Melissa? I 1,000% agree. And I tell my patients that when they come in for consults and they say, oh, I'm too early for a facelift. You know, Maybe they're coming in for fillers or for whatnot. And I'm, I'm telling you, the earlier you do it, if you need it, like if you actually need you it. You have to have signs yeah. that say I need this. If you actually need it, your doctor's telling you you need it, then the earlier the better. I think it does hold up long term. I think the skin retains some of its elasticity longer once you've put it into a tighter position. So I a thousand percent agree with that. And, and, and now that I am of a certain age and my patients are coming for more facelifts than ever because they've aged with me, I really see that getting them and they, and they always ask me, what's the timing? I go, when you see something that says, oh, my God, I'm starting to look like my grandma, then get in the chair, you know, get in here for a console. Let's talk about it. And then I'm going to get you in the OR and you're going to be happy you did it because you're going to recover faster. You're going to have a better result. And, uh, you know, it's all part of it. And, the, and you know, even with, uh, you know, even with fillers and, and lasers and all that stuff, I mean, that those those Medispa treatments are fantastic. And they, they go on before and after the facelift, but they can only do so much. The operation is the, the key to really getting the, you know, the bang for your buck. And is it fair to say that, you know, if someone does it at a younger age versus an older age, Number one, they got age on their side, so they're probably going to heal more efficiently. But also, number two, the invasiveness of the procedure is probably a lot less than waiting until, you know, things are really out of whack at an older age. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. The, there's no doubt that, you know, you want to get in there and get that operation done when, when you see those signs of aging because the, the results are just... They're night and day difference. If you're if you're ten years too late to your facelift, you can get a result, but it, it's nothing like if you nail it up front. No. no, when you have a whole lot of extra skin hanging off, it's really hard to get that to look like it's supposed to in one shot. 
John, you must see. I mean, you probably see a lot of patients who've had facelifts, and you you know the the good work from the bad work, and and I bet you see that the patients who have them when they're younger look better. Yeah, they do. I mean, it was you that actually had you know taught me what to look at and how to you know recognize these things to begin with. So once again, thank you for that. And it's it's like the difference between someone who looks well rested and someone who you know had the doctor stand behind them and grab their ears and pull back as hard as they could. And yeah, that, that's not a good look. <laughs> no, no. Um, so, you know, having someone just retain, like, I think there can be such a thing called a mature youthfulness. And, you know, because if you're 45 years old or 50 years old and you're getting a facelift, I mean, you know, most reasonable uh, patients, I think, are not trying to look like they're 21 again. You know, they, they're, you know, they're. It's, it's more like, hey, can rewind the clock a few years and press pause. And, uh, and I mean, what a win that would t- that would be. That you know, if you're 50, you now look early 40s, mid 40s, and you look that way for you know the you know the next. 10 years even before anything, you know, starts to potentially change again. But yet you've, you've kicked the can down the road, you know, till, you know, till the end. So it's really a, like what, a, what an upside for your patients. Well, and it goes, it, it goes hand in hand with the uh, aesthetic dentistry. You can't, you know, you can't have that great facelift and then <laughs> crack a smile and look like you just got, you know, out of the uh, Appalachian mountains in, uh, in West Virginia. Doesn't work. No, you don't want you don't want your smile to look like uh, you you know what's that that weird looking corn you know that's got like all the black pieces on it or whatever yeah it's just, oh uh, yeah the harvest uh, corn or whatever yeah yeah harvest <laughs> corn or whatever yeah you don't want to have that but um you know the thing is is that the two really do go hand in hand and uh, and for the listeners you know Dr. Calvert and I have done some great cases over the years where where, you know, when we look at it and then we have to figure out, okay, well, who goes first? You know, do we do the teeth first or do we do the plastic surgery first? And it, and it depends on what it is that we're trying to achieve. And so, you know, if it's someone where more of the action is going on in the lower third of the face and they lack, because remember the teeth support the lips. So if the lower third of their face is looking collapsed and dropped in and narrow, then, Calvert will have me do the teeth first to build them the ideal smile. And then there's a little less tugging and pulling because there's already more support there and it makes his job a little bit easier. But then sometimes it's the exact opposite. If he's working mid face or if he's working on the upper face, then I'll say, Hey, you know what, go ahead and do your thing. And then when they come back, because you know, the upper nose, for example, is going to affect how the upper lip lays, depending on what's going on with the nasolabial angle. So I want Jay to get that architecture set, and then I'll build the teeth around the new architecture position to enhance the work that he's done. So it's kind of neat. You know, we have to really put our heads together and figure out what's going to yield the best result. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's why you get, you know, in, in any kind of specialty like we're in, you have to have amazing consultants. You have to have people around you. And you have, a, you know, you have the absolute best crew of the uh, the all the other pieces of dentistry that you don't do with the par- periodontal uh, periodontal work. And then also your 
your implant guys and the your orthodontia. I mean, the the folks and and I obviously use them all as well. But they, uh, you know, that's the key. You want to have a great set of consultants and. And uh, that's why I think that's really why people come to, you know, Beverly Hills and uh, and and to Los Angeles in general, because we just do so much of it. I mean, obviously, when they see your wall of fame and everybody's there who's been at the Oscars like for the last 10 years. Thanks for the great teeth, John. I mean, it's kind of says everything you need to know. Uh, But, you know, it is it is all about having all the pieces of the puzzle. It it is not a uh, it's not done in a vacuum and you can't do it all by yourself. No, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with, you know, from your specialists, um, your, you know, your, your mid-level providers in the office and your staff. I mean, that just goes without saying, I mean, a good staff is the backbone of the office. Well, you know, I, I can, uh, I want you to, to kind of lay down all the information for, um, the listeners to the Beverly Hills plastic surgery podcast. Um, where can everybody get the information? First of all, you got to get the toothbrush. I'm sorry. This toothbrush is like ridiculous. I mean, not only does it brush your teeth, but I think you can like actually send like messages to Mars with this thing. It is like so sophisticated. It's ridiculous. Uh, it has all these different, you know, it's got multiple speeds and different modes and, you know, uh, at, it really has made a huge difference in, in just like a routine thing like brushing, but like all things, if you do it well, the routine stuff, it's like, you know, when you work out, if you if you do your squats right, you get some results. And if you don't, you get hurt. So you want to have the right the right stuff. And uh, so tell everybody, where where can they get their, their toothbrush? Where do they find your information? How do they find you? Okay. So to find me, easiest is my website, which is drmarashi.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-S-H-I.com. And on Instagram, it's at Dr. John Marashi, D-R-J-O-N-M-A-R-A-S-H-I. The toothbrush, which is pretty awesome, I'm really proud of it, is MarashiOralHealth.com. And it's just a, it's, it's a fantastic uh, oral hygiene device. It has an aluminum alloy anodized handle. It's, it's a luxury sonic toothbrush. And so all the finishings all the way even through the packaging and the materials that have been used are premium and it has all the technology built into it without all the clutter. And so while it has the technology, it doesn't have a thousand buttons on it um, uh, that you don't even know what they do or what to press when. So, so blending that and design simplicity and elegance has really, you know, made this quite popular. Um, In fact, actually uh, it's funny because um, you know, now like all the celebrities are, you know, they're, they're like showing videos of them, uh, like FaceTiming with each other out. And, um, just yesterday, uh, Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake were doing a thing with each other and, and they were, they were, they were brushing their teeth and Justin was brushing with, with my M Sonic. So that was cool to see. That's very cool. That's very helpful. <laughs> well, it's great, John. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, uh, to talk with us about, uh, about all the stuff that you do. I mean, I, I, I definitely uh, give you my strongest endorsement as a patient of yours for a very long time. And, uh, and we're glad that you're still providing emergency services during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but I, I do expect that we'll be through this in, in a short order here and look forward to getting back over in the office so we can finish up our project here. Absolutely. Well, it's been uh, it's been an honor and a privilege joining you both on on the show this evening, and uh, and and same, you know, 
stay safe and stay healthy. All right, man. Well, this is this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is brought to you by Rock Spa. This is Medi Spa, located both in Beverly Hills and Newport Beach, providing services such as Botox, fillers, lasers, and all therapy, as well as hydrofacials and all the aesthetic products you could possibly need. It's run by the medical director, me, Dr. Jay Calvert. Rock Spa Beverly Hills is located at 120 South Spalding Drive in Suite 340, Beverly Hills, 90212. The phone number there is 310-777-0496. And Rock Spa Newport Beach is located at 1617 West Cliff Drive, Newport Beach, California, 92660. The phone number there is 949-644-1111. You can go to their respective websites, rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. Rockspa was created to help my patients maintain their aesthetic beauty in between whatever operations they have throughout their lives. It's something that allows patients to come in, get their facials, skin treatments, take care of all the Botox fillers and lasers that they need to keep up their beauty, and if they've invested in any of the aesthetic operations I perform, it's the way to maintain those operations. If you mention this podcast, you will get the member's pricing for your hydrofacial. The Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast is the way that Dr. Ravello and I talk about the issues that are important to us in plastic surgery, but there's nothing better than getting to take care of our patients and do plastic surgery. Our practices are located in Beverly Hills, and I also have a satellite office in Newport Beach. You can learn about my practice at drcalvert.com, and you can reach my office by calling 310-777-8800, and that will get you an appointment either in Beverly Hills or at the Newport Beach office. My practice is located in Beverly Hills. Our office phone number is 310-954-1355. You can also contact us directly through the website, which is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. We look forward to seeing you in the office for some aesthetic tune-ups.